0: Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Junkie. Good morning to you, or good afternoon, or possibly good evening. Depends on what time you are listening to this episode. Here we are with Slay, episode number eight. I'm getting this one done a bit early as a real girl herself and I are off to see the amazing Stephen King perform. No, not the writer, the actor who famously plays Brian Clouser in the Blue Balls podcast performances written by none other than Pookie Chang of Nocturnal Fame. Stephen is in a production called Picasso at the Lapinagile. Lapinagile. Shit, I already forgot how to pronounce it. Anyways, I don't know what the performance is all about, but I'm excited. I'm going in blank. We will be watching. We're excited to see if Stephen King do what Stephen King does best. As for publishing news, I do have some news coming up soon, but it's nothing I can talk about yet. We are still working on this stuff. Uh, we'll let you know as soon as we get it done. Speaking of letting you know, let me get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go wonder how we can each make magic. Previously on Slay, Lincoln Franks once worked for The Bastion, a mysterious organization that hunts and kills creatures of evil. Now, he's a freelancer, killing monsters for the highest bidder. But one client doesn't have to pay him. Lincoln's young son Samuel was kidnapped by Tommy Twofingers, a supernatural bounty hunter. Tommy sold Samuel to The Shelf, a purgatory-like place full of agony and horror. Kalista made a deal with Lincoln. She would provide Samuel protection on the shelf if Lincoln did her bidding. Tonight, that bidding is to kill a lawyer named Ariella Goldsmith. Lincoln has never heard of this woman. He doesn't know if she's good or bad, if she deserves to die, or if she's innocent. But to protect his son, he's going to take her out. With his weapons freshly cleaned, sharpened, loaded, and stored in his hollow cloak— Lincoln Franks sets out to do as he's been instructed. Lincoln Franks stood on the flat roof of a brownstone that was easily worth ten times what he had paid for his old church. Uptown, where the rich people lived. Doctors, business owners, old money, trust fund kids, and, of course, lawyers. Lawyers like the one Lincoln had come to kill. Ariella Goldsmith lived in the third-floor flat of the brownstone across the street, or so Callista had said. Lincoln would have to confirm Goldsmith's identity before he killed her. She could be an innocent, just like that kid Lincoln had spared at the warehouse. She could be purblind as well, just a regular, unenlightened schmuck who'd somehow pissed off Callista. Then again, Goldsmith could be fully immersed in the supernatural. She might live in the patchwork, for all Lincoln knew, coming to the human realm to do business and to cause misery. He took some comfort in the fact that Callista had few interactions with the truly innocent. Lincoln sensed Shitbird flying in, a black shadow crossing the starless sky. He raised his right arm. The big crow backflapped, landed lightly. Nothing around, 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 Shitbird said. Place is as dead as your sex life, as your sex life. Gimme a cracker. Of all the familiars in the world, Lincoln had wound up with a smart ass crow. Never mind my sex life. You sense anything else? Any meshwork? Protection spells? The big crow ruffled its feathers, dug its beak into one wing to scratch an itch. Lincoln waited. He'd been with Shitbird long enough to know when the crow was milking the paws for drama's sake. Sometimes Lincoln wanted to wring the stupid bird's neck. The crow finished the itch, tilted its head, and opened its beak like a smartass about to deliver a punchline. One shiny black eye stared up at Lincoln. Some fibers, some fibers, Shitbird said. Tension knots on the windows. Be careful. Give me a fucking cracker. Lincoln dug a small bag of oyster crackers out of his pocket. He tore it open with his teeth as he watched the brownstone across the street. Scattered the crackers across the flat rooftop. Shitbird dropped down to feast. The crow wasn't all bad, really. Where else was Lincoln going to find a scout to do aerial reconnaissance for the stiff price of crackers you got for free with takeout soup? Filaments were the basic ingredient of what the unenlightened called magic. Filaments were made from human emotions. Bad day at work, spouse cheating, Some numbnuts cut you off in traffic. Too many idiotic Facebook misinformation posts infuriate you. Each emotion created a certain kind of filament. The purblind didn't know the filaments were there, not even when special craftsmen known as pullers harvested them. Once harvested, spinners took over. Spinners turned filaments into fibers, greatly concentrating the emotional energy. From there, weavers got to work using fibers to make mesh, the true raw material of magic. Mesh work went into spells, gave objects special abilities, gave weapons unique powers, etc. The more complex the spell or charm, the more types of fibers that were needed and the greater skill required at weaving them into mesh. Goldsmith's flat had tension knots on the windows. Was she a full-blown weaver? Maybe someone else had crafted the knots for her. Tension knots were simple enough sorcery. In theory, anyway, they were way beyond Lincoln's skill. Some filaments of paranoia, some of caution, some of distrust, some of protective instincts, all woven together into thin, invisible strands that could be stretched across doors, windows, any kind of opening, really. Touch them, and their owner gets an instant alert. Or, worse, they trigger a waiting spell. The presence of tension knots meant danger for Lincoln, but they also helped ease his mind somewhat. Ariella Goldsmith was likely enlightened, which also meant the odds of her being an innocent were low. Rare, indeed, was an enlightened who hadn't done bad things at one point or another. Still, it wasn't a certainty that Goldsmith had done anything to deserve assassination. Lincoln wished he'd had more time to investigate, but what choice did he have? If he didn't do what Kalista ordered, she wouldn't protect little Sam on the shelf. The kid was ten. The only thing he'd done wrong was to have Lincoln for a father and Jacoby Franks for a grandfather. Sooner or later, Callista was going to make Lincoln cross a line that could not be uncrossed. Was tonight that night? Maybe. And maybe it didn't matter the job still had to get done. Goldsmith was a stranger. Sam was more important than anyone else. If innocent people had to die to keep Sam safe, then that was a risk Lincoln had to take. Three o'clock in the morning. No traffic on the street. No pedestrians either. No nearby bars or clubs. No wandering crackheads. No screaming bums. Not in this part of town. At night, Rich people slept. Probably because they needed their rest to properly fuck over anyone and everyone who was not rich. Yes, the target's windows had tension knots, but other than that, Lincoln saw no security. No bars across the windows, no watchers on the roof, no guard or doorman. If there were tension knots on the windows, the same were likely present on the front door, possibly even stretched across hallways. If he tried the main entrance and took the stairs, the target might have more time to react. The windows were the fastest way. Break in, find Goldsmith, kill her, get the hell out of there. Might as well get it over with. Integumento, he said. The black shroud formed, hiding his face from the world. Lincoln pulled his cloak tight around his shoulders. Descend at. He stepped off the roof, dropped down lightly from three stories up. His boot heels hit the concrete with barely a sound, and he was already walking across the street. He saw no one, sensed no one, watching. At Goldsmith's brownstone, he silently scrambled up the wall. No need for magic here, his strength and the old building's ample handholds let him quickly climb to the third story. At the leftmost of Goldsmith's three third-floor windows, he paused. To anyone watching from the street, he would have been a shadow against the stone. Not invisible, exactly, but so devoid of detail that few would give him a second glance.
1: In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. shopify.com slash realm.
0: Lincoln breathed in through his nose, a long, slow, measuring sniff. A hint of wickedness oozing through the windows. The scent was too minimal for him to make it out. Corruption, violence, murder, betrayal. He couldn't lock it down. He had hoped for a last minute, oh so obvious tell that this lawyer deserved what she was about to get, but no such luck. And once he went through that window, once he broke those tension knots, the die was cast. He sensed the presence of the knots. He could try to unravel them, but he knew he'd fail. Whoever had woven these strands had more meshwork ability than he, and by a long shot. The only way through was well, through. Lincoln slowly, carefully leaned enough to peek into the windows. Inside, every wall had floor-to-ceiling shelves loaded with books both big and small. No knick-knacks, just books. In the center of the room, an antique chair sat next to a tall, antique Tiffany lamp. He reached into his cloak and drew Bastard Maker. The bearded hatchet was his favorite tool for close-quarters work. Magda had sharpened it, rejuvenated its mesh. The hatchet hummed with quiet power, thirsting for fresh blood. Lincoln drew back, ripped Bastard Maker down. The blade sliced tension knots, crushed the wooden window frame, and cracked glass, all in one fell swoop. The same instant, Lincoln was through and in. No burglar alarm— No immediate blast of magic to drive out the intruder. He quickly shuffled to his left, away from the window, his boot soles crunching on broken glass. He paused, opening his senses, expanding his awareness, searching for the result of cutting the knots. Nothing. Maybe some luck had finally come his way. Some of the books looked old. Very old. Lincoln could taste the magic in the air. One door out of the library, and it was closed. Time to find the lawyer and send her to her end. Lincoln took one step forward, then another, and then he stopped. He heard something. Something like the soft creak of old leather. The crinkle of ancient paper. He sensed the invisible waver of meshwork. The library door swung inward. There stood a woman, perhaps mid-thirties, wearing only a black nightgown, one hand clutching a necklace of thick turquoise chunks, the other hand gripping the door handle. Her short, blonde-with-dark-roots hair was swept over the top of her head, a haircut that spared no expense and looked fresh from the stylist even though she must have been asleep only moments before. She stared. Lincoln sniffed. She smelled of wickedness, to be sure. But was it enough to merit a death sentence? Her eyes narrowed. Callista sent you? He said nothing. His fingers adjusted on bastard-maker's haft. Well, you sure aren't here to deliver a pizza, the woman said. I've been expecting you, asshole. Her necklace flared with crackling green energy. Lincoln knew he had waited too long, He rushed forward. The blow hit him from the left, sent him flying across the room to crash into the far bookshelf. The one two impacts dazed him for a moment, but only a moment. He scrambled to his feet. If he hadn't been wearing his armor, he'd be a bag of broken bones. The room filled with a soft, emerald light. In that light, Lincoln saw a row of books curve away from the shelf like a rectangular tentacle. The row shot toward him, tomes pressed cover to cover, rustling with the sound of flipping pages. Lincoln sidestepped and brought Bastard Maker down hard. The blade sliced through a leather bound volume, splitting it in half. The books beyond that slice fell to the floor, as inanimate as they'd been only moments before. The rest of the books, though, recoiled away from him, curling back toward the shelf. Lincoln Franks, Had skills. He had worked hard to hone them, worked for years to hone them. And yet, it was an innate ability that was the only reason he had survived all those years fighting for the Bastion. An intuition of coming danger, something that only happened for him in combat. That same instinct made him throw himself forward. Another book tentacle whizzed over his head, this one coming from the right side shelves. He tucked and rolled came to his feet next to the antique chair. He started toward the woman, but the curving book tentacles crisscrossed in front of her, protecting her, crisscrossed in front of the window, cutting off his escape. Books flew off the shelves, a blur of bound volumes smashing into each other on the other side of the chair. The books stuck, creating a fast-growing, paper-flapping shape that extended legs, then arms, then What passed for a head, a head with an upper jaw whose spine read, The Odyssey. The lower jaw book was edge out, the white paper sharpening into pointed teeth. Just like that, Lincoln found himself facing a hulking, eight foot tall golem made of books. The big book head turned toward the woman. Your wishes, Master. The woman looked at Lincoln. Kill this intruder. The Golem swung a hard-cover fist full of pure power. Lincoln stepped back, dodged the blow. His back thudded against the now mostly empty bookshelf. No room left to maneuver. The Golem stepped forward, tossing the antique chair aside with one arm, the Tiffany lamp with the other. Lincoln seized upon that momentary distraction, reached into his cloak for his Vepper 12 shotgun. Firing one-handed, there was no hope of accuracy. But the golem was only a few feet away, and it took up half the room. Lincoln fired low, let the weapon rise from recoil, as the ten-round magazine emptied in two seconds. A line zipped up the golem's front, double lot buckshot ripping through covers and paper alike, filling the air with madly swirling confetti. The golem kept coming forward as if it felt nothing at all, which, in reality, it did not. It was an inanimate object brought to life by this woman's magic. Again, a big bookish left hand swung forward. Lincoln ducked under it, but too late did he see the right hand rushing in. It swatted him like a rat sent him flying into the wall. His body shattered wooden shelves. The shotgun tumbled away. He crashed to the floor, realizing that first surprise hit had been little more than a slap. Now that the golem had been given a license to kill, it wasn't pulling its punches. Lincoln didn't feel the pain fully just yet. His adrenaline and training kept it at bay. But if he survived this, he'd feel it all too soon. A Bigfoot Soul with the Hardcover Cover, Under Alien Skies read the title, came down fast. Lincoln rolled clear just before impact, swung a powerful backhand. The foot struck so hard that floorboards broke. Bastard Maker's ancient curved edge dug deep into the thick leg. Lincoln yanked the blade free, crouched for the next attack, keeping one eye on the lawyer and the other on his well-read foe. The golem turned and came forward again, but when it stepped with the leg Lincoln had wounded, the limb buckled, smaller books and chunks of bound pages popping free. The monster stumbled, Regained its balance almost immediately, but by then, Lincoln was already a blur of motion. With both hands, he brought Bastard Maker down with all his strength. The hatchet split the golem's head, parting covers and pages, driving through the squat neck, all the way down to where a heart would have been had it been a living thing. The monster shuddered. But even with the hatchet in its chest, the books started to bind together. Mismatched tomes knitting into new combinations, giving the golem solidity once again. If the monster had two or maybe three more seconds, it would likely have been ready to strike, to crush Lincoln into pulp. But one word from him changed the game. Colladium. Bastard maker blazed with orange fire, fast and hot and undeniable. The golem's chest flared with flame. Fist sized at first, then long tongues rose up from the chest to engulf the head, spreading down the arms and legs. Lincoln felt the heat billowing out, felt it caress his face, a blast furnace that had sparked to life in less time than it took to blink. He yanked Bastard Maker free, backed off, his boots crunching on broken wood and wobbling on thick chunks of paper. Flames flicked high, spread out across the ceiling. Extinguish! the woman shouted. The flame wafted out. Gone as fast as it had appeared. The ruined golem wavered for a moment, then the scorched books that made up its body collapsed into a smoldering, smoking pile. Lincoln was not going to underestimate this woman again. He closed on her in a rush, grabbed her around the throat, raised bastard-maker to cleave her conjuring head in two. Just as he started to bring the ancient blade down, she croaked out a fast, desperate sentence. I can save Sam! Lincoln froze. Had he heard her right? What did you say? Her eyes squenched shut. Her feet dangling inches above the ground, she fought for air. Lincoln let her go. She collapsed to the floor, her hands rubbing her throat. As she coughed, and drew in big breaths. Your son, she said, grunting out the words. You're Lincoln Franks, right? You're doing this because you made a deal with Kalista to protect him on the shelf? You don't have to kill for her. I can get you out of it. Lincoln knelt and ripped free her necklace. Chunks of turquoise scattered across the floor, bouncing off burned and broken books. He held the blade's edge in front of her face. He stared at her, desperate, to believe, hating himself for daring to do so. He didn't know this woman. How could she help Sam? Bullshit, Lincoln said. You're lying. She raised a hand, palm out. Just, just give me ten minutes, she said. If you don't believe me, then you can kill me anyway. What's it gonna hurt to listen? It's just words. Lincoln huffed. You're a lawyer and, apparently, a weaver. Words are weapons for both kinds. Tears formed in the corners of her eyes. From fear? Or maybe from the wafting smoke? I have a cleanup amulet in the kitchen, she said. You can use it. I don't have to touch it. Let's get rid of the smoke before the neighbors call the fire department. I'll tell you what I know, okay? Whatever she had to say, whatever desperate gambit she floated, Lincoln knew it would spark his hope would make the heartbreak over Sam all the more intense. But he had to know. go," Lincoln whispered. The shroud covering his face slid away. He wanted her to see his eyes. He wanted her to see how serious he was. Let's go get that amulet, Lincoln said. You better start talking now, though. You've only got nine minutes left. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit ScottSigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon.